Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Hello, and welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series. My name is Stuart Bryant. Today, we're going to cover some biased statistic questions. I'm going to apologize in advance for how we're doing this. I know we, we kind of talked about having a couple different types of episodes for the Study Smarter series. And in order to kind of keep things moving, I decided I would rather just go ahead and record some of these questions, talk about it a little bit uh, for bias statistics, and get it out there so you have something to listen to. Later in the week, we'll have another podcast episode, hopefully, and we'll move on to genetics the following week uh, as we'll try to keep on schedule. We have a setup landing page kind of describing some things about the Inside the Board Study Smarter series. For anyone who's interested online, that will be in our show notes as well. Let's go ahead and just talk a little briefly about biostatistics and how it's important for step one. The, the big thing to think about is this is kind of like a, a pseudo topic, new topic. It's in the textbooks. You see it. It's hard to put a lot of time and effort into if you don't know a lot of statistics already. So depending on your background, you may have a little bit of an advantage. That said, I was a psychology major and we did not really have a lot of um, things related to like odds ratios, relative risk, but things like the two by two kind of table that you can make and doing manipulations with that is really important that you take the time to do practice questions for just because some of the nuances in how you do those calculations are a lot easier when you're working on it with pen and paper. And if you're really good at them, you can get through these questions very quickly. The important thing to think about there is just being do those questions, knowing about sensitivity and specificity. Uh, and a lot of these are just kind of getting you introduced to the terms. Now for step two, it might be a little different. Uh, the way that they kind of present these is kind of a little bit more clinical and they will give you, um, for example, a, a study to look at and they'll kind of have you make uh, inferences and solve questions based on the, the data and study. And, you know, a little bit of that uh, is just kind of how what your scientific literacy is. And these questions um, for step one can really help with that. So anyway, without further ado, these questions kind of come from all over the place just because there's really not a good set of questions online. And maybe in our next episode, we'll focus on some that I will actually grab from my school and uh, we'll talk about those a little bit. First question here is, a clinician finds that 5% of her patients who had the influenza vaccine reported having influenza symptoms during the year. That is compared to 10% of her patients who do not have the vaccine that reported having influenza symptoms during the year as well. For the clinician's patients, what is the relative risk of having influenza symptoms after having received the influenza vaccine? The answer choices are 5%, 2%, 0.5%, and negative 5%. So talk a little bit about relative risk. It's the, the ratio of an event uh, in the exposed population versus the event in a non-exposed population. So typically, 
uh, relative risk is less than one. It means that something is less likely than the exposed group than the non-exposed. And if it's greater than one, it means that it's more likely. The way you do that is you take the rate of the event in the exposed group, such as the 5% that had the influenza vaccine. And then you take the rate of the event in the non-exposed group and you divide the two. So in this case, the relative risk is you have a 5% risk of having symptoms with the vaccine, 10% risk if you do not have the vaccine. So 0.05 divided by 0.10. So the answer to this question is going to be the third option, 0.5%. The way I'm going to get that is by taking the 5% of patients who get the vaccine, putting that in a decimal format, so 0.05, and then the 10% of those who did not have the vaccine, or 0.1, and just dividing the two. So 0.05 divided by 0.1, and that's going to give you a relative risk of 0.5%, which means that if you have the vaccine, or there's a lower relative risk of having symptoms. So the next question here is, a particular association determines membership on a basis of a member's IQ score. Only those persons who have documented IQs at least two standard deviations above the mean on an intelligence test are eligible for admission. Question here is, of a group of 200 people randomly selected from a population at large, how many would be eligible into membership of this society? Is it 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5 individuals? This question gets at standard deviation, which is a very important thing for you to kind of understand about statistics, uh, which is sort of like the, the number which people surround the mean. So a standard deviation from the mean kind of gets away from what is average. Two standard deviations is going to be talk about being above average, so on and so forth. Standard deviation can really help you for looking at bell curves. Um, so if you're thinking about like a bell curve and maybe you have two bell curves of like a a normal population and a disease population, depending on where they overlap for a certain biomarker, for instance, it may affect the range or the level that we consider abnormal for that biomarker. And that's how, if I remember correctly, how UWorld really like to test uh, those questions is they'd have two overlapping bell curves and they would talk about moving the line or the cutoff for the test based on the sensitivity or specificity and what it would do to those. Uh, by adjusting them. But standard deviation is a couple of important percentages, I guess, to recognize is one standard deviation typically contains about a little more than two-thirds of a population. I think it's 68%. Two standard deviations is the one we typically talk about for being uh, statistically different because it's 95% of the population is covered within that. Three standard deviations is like a little more than 99% of a population. You know, depending on how large your population is, that could only be a couple of people. But in this case, so we have 200 people and it wants two standard deviations above the mean. 
So if 95% of people are going to be covered within two standard deviations, you think of five people out of 100 not being in that category. However, this kind of tries to trick you because you have to think about it being um, two standard deviations above the mean. So you only look at half of that really being above the second standard deviation um, from the mean means that only two and a half people out of 100 would be above the mean. And for that to work, works out well with 200 because that turns into an even five people. So that's going to be the answer in this question. One more here. While reviewing a study regarding a new medication called Vasolax, you read the following statement where researchers in the study say that in clinical trials, the drug lowered diastolic blood pressure in patients with chronic hypertension by an average of 15%. The p-value was less than 0.1. Which of the following statements is true regarding this claim? Is it 1. Less than 10% of patients experience no effect? 2. Greater than 90% had a favorable clinical result? Three, the observed value has a less than 10% chance of occurring by chance alone. Four, there is a 90% chance of reproducibility of this experimental study. Five, there is less than 10% of the subjects that fell outside the two standard deviations of the mean for diastolic blood pressure. So this is a question kind of asking you to define a p-value. I've previously talked about it already, but to talk about p-value, we typically set that at a certain rate to, or a certain level to suggest that if something is outside of it or below that value, it's unlikely to have occurred by chance. We in medicine typically use 0.05 as the standard p-value. That's found in most sciences. We could talk a little bit about how that's kind of outrageous that we do studies and we say that it's okay if there's a 1 in 20 chance that it was true. And in this case, this trial is talking about a p-value of less than 0.1, which is actually higher. Um, so 1 in 10 chance that the study's uh, values kind of occurred by chance all alone. That's actually what the, the answer is going to be the observed value had a less than 10% chance of occurring by chance alone. Again, like p-value is really the probability of obtaining a result, or at least uh, a result that is extreme as the one that was actually observed, uh, if you're assuming that the null hypothesis is true. So p-value is the expression of the chance that an observed outcome is the product of random chance alone. Thus, if it was 0.1 in this case, it means that the outcome had a less than 10% chance of occurring randomly. Like I said, in most science, we use 0.05, suggesting that there's a less than 5% chance or 1 in 20 that it occurred randomly uh, to describe statistically significant results. And if they're higher, if it's higher than that, you know, 0.05 is the value and the study has a 0.07, then that would be, that means that that study failed to produce a significant result. Important to keep in mind. Just a couple of statistics questions to kind of get you started for the week. I really appreciate you guys talking and listening with me. 
if you have any questions or anything, feel free to send us an email at podcast at insidetheboards.com. And hopefully I can explain things better if you do have trouble with it. If you're interested in more stuff from Inside the Boards, definitely check out the Inside the Boards app. You can get access to our uh, audio QBank as well as the, the Crush Step 1 podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen and hope you have a good week. Happy studying.